I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. This week, I turn 50. Now, I grew up, I was a swimmer. I ended up being a pretty elite swimmer. I turned into a professional triathlete. But today, I look forward to the second half of my life. What does it look like? Well, I'm still ambitious. I have sporting goals. My purpose is bigger than this, though. It's deeper. I want the best quality of life for all of my years that I had ahead of me. I want to be able to jump, throw, wrestle with Baxter, my now 11-year-old, while he still wants to, at least. I want to bound upstairs in my 80s. I want to stay relevant, healthy, vibrant, driven. I want to improve. And the first action that I do when I turn 50, I'm going to get specific about my own health and performance. I'm going to assess my biometrics via Inside Tracker and lean on the expertise and action plan that the team of scientists provide for me so that I can get highly specific on the key aspects that are going to help me on my quest for high quality living and being the very best version of myself. And the good news is you don't have to wait to turn 50 or you don't have to look back and remember that time if you're already past that little checkpoint you can take advantage too. All you need to do is head to insidetracker.com slash purplepatch and use the code purplepatch. Purple Patch Pro 20. That's Purple Patch Pro 2.0. You get 20% off everything at the store. Yes, indeed, it is the catalyst of high performance and the best quality of life that you can live. Enjoy the show. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. As ever, your host, Matt Dixon. And this week... We're going to do something a little different because it's my birthday this week. Now, my friends will know very well that I don't like to make a big deal of my birthday, but this one is a little bit of a landmark. And so I've been pushed, nudged and forced into acknowledging it. And so therefore, we thought we'd do a fun edition of the show. Thanks so much, Barry, for making me do this. Oh, if I told you that today we were going to outline 50 lessons from my years of coaching. Would you be able to guess what number birthday it is for me? Now, I'm not a master of the mathematicals, ladies and gentlemen, but I reckon even I could do this. So hopefully it's going to be a little fun, but equally, I really hope it's helpful. Some one-liners and a few quick thoughts on the key lessons that I've yielded from my years of coaching. It's all in today's show. I hope you enjoy, but before we get going, we are going to do Matt's Newsings. Matt's Newsings, I'm going to keep it pretty brief this week, but let me just tell you, we are now entering March and... It is the year of transformation. Purple Patch athletes, we're not just looking for quick fixes, quick gains, even a single result. We want to develop champions, champions of yourself in your own life, delivering control, delivering empowerment, and of course, ensuring that you get the race results if you are competitive, but not at the expense of other parts of your life. And right now, as I am turning 50, I'm excited because we had some adversity, and I've talked about this in the last couple of weeks, where suddenly we realized that our training platform was going out of business, was no more. But with the help of Training Peaks and the great team there, we have got to actually yield and leverage that adversity for something to our athletes' gains. And that is a completely reimagined program. Now you're gonna have more access to myself, the team of Purple Patch coaches on a more robust platform with deeper educational opportunities with the quest of doing something simple, which is to transform you. Not just get a great race result, but ensure that you amplify and ignite your best performance in other parts of life. And so why don't you become a part of the Purple Patch train? 
We are having a lot of fun. We've got a like-minded community around the world, but most importantly, we deliver results. And that's the key thing for you. And I'd love you to join the team if you're not already on it. And so why don't you reach out, a complimentary consultation, info at purplepatchfitness.com. That's info at purplepatchfitness.com. We'll have a quick chat and see which program is best for you. All right, team, with that, should we get on with it? Yep, it's my 50th. Goodness me, Barry, let's do the meat and potatoes. Yes, the meat and potatoes. I have been pushed into doing this one by Barry. Barry, you are sweating profusely behind the camera there. So are you nervous about me messing this one up? Guys, I'm 50. Goodness me, do I have an emotional reaction? I always thought I would have an emotional reaction, but in honesty, no. I'm excited. I'm happier than ever. I'm still ambitious, but also a little reflective maybe. It's been a journey so far. I've learned a lot. I've met some amazing and inspirational people. My heroes, to be honest, the athletes that I've helped. So many stories of grit, accomplishment, development, and I think that's where I draw my pride and my excitement. And so today I'm gonna outline 50 lessons, each of them pretty quick fire, but also loaded with meaning. And I hope from these lessons that you can draw and apply to your own sporting journey. But before we hit them, let me give you the runway. Now, Barry suggested that I do this. I wanna make sure that I don't yarn on for too long, but I wanna give you some context of my life in the most quick fashions, because behind these lessons was of course the journey that I went through. And so I think we should do that for five minutes and then we're gonna go right in, one, two, three, all the way up to 50. Now I've categorized these to try and give it a little bit of organization and order to them, but they should be pretty fun and hopefully meaningful. But first, my favorite subject, me. Let's talk about it. Well, I grew up in a town called Southend, which is in Essex in England. Now for you Yankee poodles, you might not know where that is. It's a seaside coastal town about 30 miles to the east of London. And if I told you I was from London, because it's pretty close to London, it's almost captured in it, but if I said I'm from London, it would be a little bit like me telling you that I was from New York, whereas I was actually from the Jersey Shore. And by the way, distinctly similar stereotypes are both the shore and Southend. Great alignment, including all of the gold chains, the spoilers on your cars, plenty of bleached hair in the women, memin pups always ready to give it some, mate. You want some, do you? I'll see you outside. Yep, that sort of culture. That's what I grew up in. I was lower middle class. My dad was 20 years older to my mum. He was actually in the Second World War in the RAF. And our life grew up with the impact of his experiences, as well as her growing up in the aftermath of the war and the years following. I'm the youngest of three brothers in many ways. They sort of raised me in many ways. And we are still close, very, very close, despite living miles apart from years. I actually haven't lived under the same roof as my brothers since I've been 12 years of age. And yet we still speak every day by WhatsApp on chat and pretty much every week as well. So we still have a great relationship. Growing up, I was a really happy kid. I was I loved my elementary school, I was athletic, I was really happy. And then at 11 years of age, which is when you go to high school in England, at 11 years of age, I went to high school and it was miserable. It was a crusher of confidence. It was an all boys school. And the tone and the theme was closer to something out of a Harry Potter movie than maybe what you anticipate. And the difference is that we still got hit they didn't get hit in Harry Potter, but we got hit. And imagine that, corporal punishment, absolutely unbelievable. In fact, when I got the cane, I had to choose. Am I gonna choose the hand or the butt? Hmm, well, you know what? I chose the bottom, knowing it will give the headmaster just that little extra bit of pleasure. My parents got divorced when I was 12, and so from the years of 12 to 16, they were pretty tough for me. As a youth, I developed a little bit of a nasty streak, I would say. In fact, I regret big parts of my behavior in those years. I was reflecting pretty lost. I still sometimes wish that I could apologize to a few folks that I probably wasn't as nice to as I could have been. I grew up doing lots of different sports, football, cricket, riding my bicycle, swimming. 
And as a young kid, I was very good. At the age of 12, I was fourth at the national championships. And then at 13, I quit swimming. And in fact, I didn't swim at all from really about 14 through till 16 years of age. And at 16, I decided to take it back up. And it was mostly an act of desperation because I was directionless. I really didn't know where to go. And I had two years. And at the age of 18, I managed to actually secure the very last qualification spot for the British Olympic swimming trials. Last guy in. And I thought, I have no aspirations. I'm going to go up to Sheffield, this brand new pool that they'd just built. And I went up there and somehow... I had the swim of my life and I secured a spot in the final. Now that was seismic for me and little did I know at the time it was seismic for writing the chapter of my life in many ways because this one race was the catalyst that enabled me to get recruited and come to the US on a swimming scholarship. If it wasn't for that race I really wouldn't have had an opportunity to come to the States. Now, when I left in 92 and came to the States on a US on a swimming scholarship, my sole goal in life was 1996, the Olympic Games in Atlanta. I arrived here, I quadrupled my training hours, I ramped up effort and I went all in. I got fitter than I'd ever been in my life and I didn't get any faster. I finaled at the trials again, but I never made the team. And so after my swimming career, I took up coaching. And I was lucky to coach at one of the best club programs in the whole country. We had a lot of really fast kids, kids that were going on to get scholarships all over the US at Division One swimming. And it was an amazing experience. It offered a host of initial coaching lessons. And in fact, one of the best coaches that I met was at that swim program, the head coach, Ed Buckman, who still has an imprint on my coaching to this day. But I realized that I probably didn't want to just be a swimming coach. There's nothing wrong with being a swimming coach, but I decided that I wanted to extend out. So I went and did my master's degree and I went to the University of South Carolina. Yes, the Gamecocks. I did clinical physiology there. I became assistant coach for the swim team for two years and learned that big schools in big conferences, University of South Carolina was in the SEC, doesn't mean the quality of coaching is always going to be big and good. And so I saw a whole bunch of athletes there work really hard and not get any faster. And so while at that USC, I did my first triathlon. It was just as a bet. It was fun. I was completely clueless. I went hard from the start and I ended up coming in fourth and instantly fell in love with the sport. I learned so much about bike riding when I was in South Carolina from riding with roadies, as they call them, people that ride road bicycles. And it was especially a guy, actually, Rob Reed, amazing guy, fantastic, owner of a wonderful coffee shop that I still think is, uh, is open, immaculate consumption in Columbia, South Carolina. But he really taught me so much about riding my bicycle. And following my master's program, I'd done triathlons, I was amateur, and done very, very well, run, won lots of races, and decided to go home to London. My uh, father was very sick at the time, and I went back there for nine months and I was completely lost. My US adventure was over. I'd been here for nine years. My dad was very sick. He ended up passing away, and I really didn't know what to do next. I got a job as an assistant regional manager at a uh, trendy sort of fitness club, and I just thought I'm going into the more corporate side of life, and I really didn't know what to to do. And, uh, And so it was then that I decided, I don't think triathlon's over for me. It wasn't that fun riding in the streets of London. So I decided to give it a real crack. And without a visa, I went to the US, back again to Los Angeles because I knew one person there. And I arrived as a tourist and I decided I've got to go pro. But I didn't have a visa. When my first week in Los Angeles, I went to a local tri-club meeting of the LA Tri-Club. A large event, 500 people there. I even think it was Dave Scott and Mark Allen, two folks that I became very good friends with in later years, and they were doing a talk, but they had a raffle there. And guess whose name got pulled out of the hat? Mine. Yep, it got pulled out of the hat. And it was for a full performance assessment at a brand new performance center called Phase 4. And following that assessment that I won in the raffle, well, they became my sponsor, my main support for all of my pro career. It was just complete serendipity. And I met a guy called Chris Wright, who's an immigration lawyer. 
and he somehow secured a visa for me to stay in the US. And many of the world people in the tri-world now will know Chris because he has secured most of the visas for most of the professional triathletes that are born and raised outside of the US over the last 20 years. He is the man. And it was myself and Conrad Stoltz that sort of got that going with Chris. He's, the, he's one of the top immigration lawyers in the whole of the country, works with a lot of the tech and entertainment people, but now he has a sports industry as well. Anyway, I raced pro, I was committed, I was tough, and to be honest, I worked my ass off. I got so freaking fit. And you know what I ended up with? Not wins, I ended up with chronic fatigue. Because I ignored all of the aspects of performance that would serve that hard work that I did do to become more effective. And so really before it even begun, three or four years in, my professional career was over and I decided to start coaching. And I was determined not to allow my coached athletes to make the same mistakes that I did. And so the basic method that I utilize was to place four key areas of performance on a level playing field. Now, you're probably familiar with these as a listener to this show. Endurance training, yes, if you're a triathlete, you've got to swim, bike, and run. Strength and condition, nutrition, and recovery. And everything that falls under those pillars. These four pillars still make up the core guiding method of the Purple Patch programming today. And I coached for a few years and then started Purple Patch at the end of 2007. By myself, living in a studio apartment, I had absolutely no business experience and I actually questioned myself because I'd inherited the English mindset and I felt that not only would I not be able to do it, I didn't even have the right to do it. How can I start a company? I should go and get a real job. That's what all of my English friends would tell me at least. Well, I wouldn't have had the courage if it wasn't simply for my wife, Kelly. You see... I had no idea what I was doing, but Kelly said, you can do it, work it out. And she drove me, and from that little studio apartment, Purple Patch was born. Now, starting Purple Patch, I really had no idea where to start. I decided to lean into some existing clients that I already had. And when I reflect, I can't believe how lucky I was. I just want to label off my initial advisory group for Little Purple Patch. I had a founder of PayPal, the director of finance at Cliff Bar, the head of HR of KMV Moody, a partner of Goodby Silverstein, one of the most decorated brand and ad agencies in the world, the founder of Trulia, the real estate search engine. That was my advisory group. And guess what? They gave some pretty good advice. I started at the same time to write for many of the triathlon publications, and my topic that I always focused on was stress and how it impacted performance in both sport at the pro level and the amateur level and across life. It was my passion. And out of this, I started to suggest a, what I labeled, smarter way to train for endurance sports. And you know what happened? I got pilloried, absolutely hammered. My key focus point beyond the hard work that was required for swim, bike and run, was to absolutely prioritize recovery and sleep. I wanted athletes to integrate strength training year round, not just in off season. I wanted every athlete to have the habit of post-workout fueling and heavy diet daily hydration. And when it came to running, adopt a multi-sport lens for running conditioning. In other words, leveraging other, condition, uh, other disciplines to be ready to run really, really well. Well, I guess the sport wasn't ready at that stage because I got hammered for the approach. Think about it. The audacity of saying sleep is a performance enhancer. You need to eat enough calories to support your training and most don't. Really prioritize recovery. Strength is a performance enhancer. No, it's not. It's a waste of time, I was told. Well, over the next 13 years... We had one of the most successful squads of professional triathletes in the history of sport. 450 wins and podiums, multiple world champions at uh, pro level, multiple world championships at the amateur level, almost 1,500 athletes qualifying to the world championship. Those are amateurs, of course. And my passion, though, still lay in helping time-starved people of all levels 
integrate sport into life. I wanted them to excel in their sporting goals, go beyond even what they could imagine. I was ambitious, and that was my coaching joy. But in parallel, I wanted to ignite and magnify their health and their performance in broader aspects of life. And that is still central to what I love. In my journey, I got to work with some of the highest achieving executives and many of the world's largest and well-known organizations. Kelly and I went on a journey together. We wanted to develop Purple Patch to reach more people, from me in a little studio to a performance brand, helping people thrive in life, in the workplace, and of course in sport. And now we have a new emerging business arm, taking elite athletic coaching and applying it in a corporate setting. And so it's really exciting as you find me now at 50 with a renewed passion for the journey. Along the way, I also became a dad navigating the youth sports world with Baxter loving swimming, flag football, mountain biking, water polo, cross-country skiing, skiing, snowboarding and more. And here I am at 50 looking ahead. But over the course of my journey, everything that I just outlined, I've learned a lot. And so today, my 50 coaching lessons along that journey, in no particular order, I hope you enjoy. All right, let's kick it off, folks. I'm going to categorize them. The first 20 are all under the banner of performance coaching. So here we go. You ready? We're going to go through 20, then we'll take a quick break. Performance coaching. Number one, talent and physical gifts is absolutely no predictor of long-term success. And in fact, Anyone's gifts and talent level become irrelevant without the development of a smart program and recipe and the key traits and the mindset that all high performance share. I've witnessed the most talented athletes stumble before they even really get out of the gates and the moderately talented go on to become champions at the high level because of what they bring on a daily basis. Physical gifts is only the ticket to the dance doesn't mean you're going to dance with the cutest people. Number one. Number two, performance is performance. In any arena across life, there are similar challenges that performers face. And those challenges have similar solutions. If you broaden your perspective, you can achieve anything you put your mind to. Number three. Even in the most individual of sports, optimal individual results emerge from a team approach. I'm going to say that again. Even if you're on an individual endeavor, your best results come from adopting a team approach. It's always better to go on a journey together in a team environment than on a solo mission. Number four, hard work, commitment, it's a prerequisite but it isn't enough to deliver sustained high performance. You need to find a solution that develops consistency over the long term. Number five, there's some good stuff already, guys. We're only, number, we're only on our fifth one. There's already some good stuff. Reflect on it. Number five, in the most complex of challenges, the solutions are typically found in a focus on the basic fundamentals done really well. I want to say that again, in the most complex of challenges, the solutions are typically found on a focus on nailing the basics, developing a vigorous filter for yourself to prioritize and focus on the key aspects are going to get you 98% of the way there. That is why at Purple Patch, we always say nail the basics. Number six, a good one here. It's easy to talk about the importance of recovery for endurance athletes, for busy working professionals, for parents, it doesn't matter. It's easy, but it's much tougher to fully embrace it. I always used to say to the Purple Patch pros, any dipshit can work hard. It's the champions that have the quote, courage to recover. Number seven, lucky sevens. Telling someone what to do never delivers as positive results as educating and explaining the why of what you want them to do. Results emerge when you take the time as a coach to empower the athlete with the knowledge of the why and you ensure they understand and you get their buy-in. Number eight, 
Effective communication is absolutely fundamental to coaching success. This doesn't mean message transmission. It ain't radio here, okay? It's as much, if not more, about listening and watching than it is about telling someone what to do. Now, I'm going to add to this. Just because you tell someone something, it doesn't mean that they've heard it and absorbed it. Great communication is when you know it has occurred, sunk in, and is actioned upon. Number nine, a good one for coaches here. Remove the sciencey complex language. It is vastly more effective when coaching to keep it simple. I seldom discuss mitochondria, posterior chains, sagittal planes, vector forces. No one wants to hear this language. It only confuses people. And they might not tell you they don't understand, but most people don't understand. Keep your language consistent, accessible, and actionable. It's better coaching. Number 10, as a coach, whether you like it or not, you're a leader. You set the tone. You model the behaviors. You establish the standards. Quickly learn what is important to you. And you want to establish those as non-negotiables. And then have the flexibility to let other stuff slide. When people have focus and clarity on the important behaviors, the stuff that you really care about, you're going to get broader buying. It's going to develop the start of your performance culture, whatever is important to you. Number 11, pretty simple. Never lie to the athletes. Tell the truth, even if it's tough and difficult. Now, sometimes you can hold back the truth, in other words, but don't lie. Effective teams are built on a bedrock of trust, and trust emerges from consistency and truth. Number 12, as a coach, reward commitment, hard work, and personal development, not outcomes. If you build your expectations around trying your best, individual development and improvement, and then what's going to happen is you're going to automatically reduce ego, tension, increase a sense of belonging and inclusion. And from this, the best outcomes flow. Number 13, it's really, really hard for athletes in the weeds to retain perspective. This means that you as a coach need to be great at getting out of the weeds, maintaining perspective, ensuring that you've got long-term thinking and decision-making. Very simple, but getting out of the weeds and not being reactive is a core competency of a great coach. Number 14, simply put, never stop growing and learning. I still believe that I've got more to learn than I have learned. And as soon as that changes, well, it's going to be time for me to exit stage right. Number 15, as the leader and the coach, never, ever, ever claim to have all the answers. I don't, you don't, we don't. But do promise to get all the answers. Most of my best coaching experiences have occurred when I've leaned heavily on the wisdom, the expertise, and the additional services of experts in other fields. Number 16, we're almost there on the first block of 20. Number 16, here we go, folks. Don't be a cheerleader as a coach. Athletes hate it. They don't want it. Cheerleaders stand on the sideline and provide blind encouragement. What athletes want is guidance, expertise, accountability, support, wisdom, the truth. So lean into that. They don't need the rah, rah, rahs. Positive reinforcement, yes, but not blind cheerleading. Number 17, evolve or die. There hasn't been a year in my coaching journey that hasn't involved a radical evolution or a shift in programming, perspective or guidance. The specifics all sit on top of a robust and never-changing set of beliefs. And so in other words, for me, that's simple things. Performance is built on a platform of health. Recovery and nutrition is as important as the hard work that you do. Long-term choices always trump short-term interventions. Other aspects like this. But the specifics of how you get there, it's ever-evolving and learning. 
evolve or die. Number 18, there is no single way to make an athlete go faster. Low intensity, big volume, it makes athletes go faster. High intensity, low volume, it makes athletes go faster. The magic, it's not in the individual sessions. It's in the application to the athlete and their situation, their stage of development and how they respond. And so whenever you hear absolutely dogmatic, evangelical approaches, that coach is just crushing performance opportunity. There's no black or white. There's no one way or the other. It's about building habits and a smart program for the athlete so that they can be consistent and they can evolve. Number 19, coaching is often ahead of the curve of peer-reviewed research. I always love the websites. We are driven by science. We only coach relative to peer-reviewed. Well, you're leaving some stuff on the table there because I'm driven by science. But I also understand that sometimes it takes the science a little time to catch up. And so as a coach, don't get shackled into a cage of only applying coaching methods if it's proven by science. On the flip side, don't apply a method just because that's what others do or that's how you trained. Instead, you need to be smart and draw on the information and think, does that make sense? And then you apply that and you keep doing all the research you can. Sometimes science will catch up. Number 20. Here's maybe a controversial one. Most, and it is most, there are some exceptions, but most former elite athletes are not equipped to be great coaches. Legendary athletic accomplishment has little to do with highly effective coaching. It's no offense to the athletes. Some of my good friends are former pro athletes and darn good coaches. But as a trend, just because a coach won a world championship as an athlete doesn't mean they're gonna be a great coach. Just saying. Alrighty guys. 20 in. We've got 30 to go. We've got to get cracking here, don't we? So that was pretty broad. Now let's get a little bit more narrow. We're going to talk about performance habits and methodology. What have I learned here? Well, we're going to go through a few here, and these are pretty quick. Alrighty? Number one, big lesson here. Oh, sorry, not number one. Number 21. Goodness me. Number 21. Most athletes across all sports go way too hard in their sessions that are prescribed as easy. Pretty simple one. Most athletes across all sports go way too hard in their easier sessions. Number 22, most athletes across all sports don't go hard enough in their tougher training sessions. We should couple those together, shouldn't we? 21 and 22, they sit together. All right, number 23, post-workout fueling. It is fundamentally a positive habit for all athletes. Protein and carbohydrates, it promotes refueling, adaptations of the muscles, control over future, future eating choices, and stress management. Much of the effective training management begins with this simple habit. Every athlete wants to lock it in post-workout fueling. Number 24, proper daily hydration is grossly underrated as a key aspect of training consistency. It also impacts daily energy, hunger management, and a really robust immune system. I see too many people walking around like dried sponges, much to their performance peril. Number 25, every human does better in life and sport when adopting a year-round consistent resistance and strength training program. This ranges from world-class athletes to AARP anarchists, perimenopausal females. If you have a heartbeat, you should embrace strength training. Pretty simple. All right, we're over halfway now, we're coming home. 26, too many athletes believe that the only route to performance gains is through fitness development, leading to an unhealthy weighted focus on metrics, where their real opportunity is in skill and terrain management development. You get that right, you go faster for your fitness. Number 27, strict and rigid training zones are mostly complete bullshit. 
and they do more to restrict and limit athletes than actually delivering the supposed specificity that so many claim. Think about that one. That's going to be a discussion point, isn't it? Really strict and rigid training zones are mostly, I'll say it again, complete bullshit. Okay, number 28. Sleep is the number one performance catalyst that you have in your arsenal to give consistency and performance gains. You can do everything else right, but if you don't consistently establish good sleep patterns, your performance will suffer. Whether the goal is elite athletics, leadership in the workplace, work performance, parenting, body composition. Sleep is everything. Ignore it and your performance ultimately will suffer, period. Well, feeling pretty dogmatic on that one. Number 29, chasing weight loss or race weight is a sure path to performance catastrophe. It leads to a harmful relationship with food, short-term ineffective habits, massive risk in injury and fatigue, and ultimately performance decline. Instead, build positive habits a smart, long-term set of choices that can help deliver performance, but also de-stress the body enough that body composition can improve. Oh, and by the way, it makes you happier as well. Don't fall for the diets, don't chase a number on the scale, and don't think or fall for the trap of lighter is faster. It's riddled with risk. And number 30, most endurance athletes don't consume enough calories to support their training load. Pretty simple. It's a nice way to finish it around performance habits. Most endurance athletes don't consume enough calories to support their training load. And that means that now we've got 20 to go. So now let's get a little bit more narrow. Let's go down in little clusters of five. Let's do a little five little lessons in business. Number 31, here we go. We just got five around business, folks. 31, building a business is freaking hard, relentless and all-consuming. It's also the adventure of a lifetime and immensely rewarding. Number 32, the toughest part of business success, team. It's a never-ending journey of development, refinement and improvement. Building team is challenging. We've got a great team at Purple Patch, but it takes a lot of investment and hard work to get there. Number 33, the best piece of coaching advice that I got in the initial years of Purple Patch, I wanna share here. Don't rely on a single service, build multiple oil wells of revenue. Pretty good one for you guys that are starting your coaching business. Think about that, the oil wells analogy. It's a good thing to keep in your mind. Number 34, it's great and wonderful and rewarding to have a passion-based business that helps others. But don't forget, it's a business. So take it seriously. Focus on the quality of the products and the services. Place an emphasis on revenue metrics and targets so that you can have more success and more happy clients. Your business may make people happy and successful in their hobby, but it's not your hobby, it's a business. Be professional, take it seriously and show up and you're gonna be leveraged to make a greater impact than you ever imagined. And number five under the banner of business, clarity is critical. It's not always easy, but ensuring your team and employees are clear and understand their role and your expectations is always better to keep them happy and effective. I've had to evolve dramatically on this and I keep trying to improve to be really clear and upfront. The truth is so much better than fuzzy soft support. Alrighty, coaching tone. This is important one. Let's dig into a few key aspects of tone and mindset in coaching. Number 36 guys, be deadly serious about your craft, but make it fun. No one does better when you extract all of the joy from the hard work. It's absolutely fine and appropriate to have high demands, high expectations, but long-term success doesn't emerge from soulless workload. 37, 
similarities in many ways. Positive nearly always trumps negative. Building your language and your feedback around positive reinforcement and support provides hope, excitement, and commitment. Shouting causes retreat, a fear of being wrong. So step into growth. Number 38, partner in discomfort. As a coach, it's my job to put athletes in places of high discomfort. But this is where the growth occurs. And it can only be positive if you are there right with them. I've got to be in that experience, guiding, coaching them, and helping them develop the tools so that they can navigate alone. That's what coaching is. 39, emphasize the process, the actions that are under my athlete's control, and also prioritize effort over outcomes. These are the components that any athlete has control and autonomy over. And so that's where, as a coach, I need to place my emphasis. And number 40 in coaching, limit the time that you spend talking about outcomes. Outcomes for me, pretty irrelevant. We know where we want to go. We set that target. But I never, ever tell an athlete that they can win a world championship or they're going to qualify to the Hawaii Ironman or finish a race. Instead, I try and steer my words towards the actions that are necessary to deliver those outcomes. If you focus on personal development and the things that we can control, the outcomes take care of themselves almost every time. We're almost there, guys. Ten to go. Here we go. Let's do the fun one. Transition to kids and youth sports. Alrighty, number 41. If you want your kids to be the very best that they can be in any sport, make sure that they do a ton of different sports and activities growing up. Resist, resist, resist the temptation to specialize early. And I get it. It's tough. But guess what? If your kid is somehow super talented, they're going to emerge. They're going to get through if they're able. And so resist the temptation to get super specialized early. No kid before 14 should be a single sport kid, even if they want to be as good as they can be in a sport. Number 42, keep out of the coach's way. As a parent, and now I'm taking my coaching hat off, as a parent, our role is to support, love, and keep it fun. The best questions you can ask your kid after a game or a race, did you have fun? Did you try your best? That's all you need to say. Support them, they'll feel it. 43, parents, it's not your journey. This isn't a second crack at sports. It's your kid's journey. And so I think as a parent, we should all do everything we can to support them. Expose them to many different experiences and sports. But it is they and only they that will decide if they want to pursue and chase excellence. The truth is you can't coach will. You can't coach commitment. You can teach the values of it. But it's going to come from the intrinsic side. And as a parent, we don't have control of that. And so set up the experiences and see where the kid runs. That's the best we can do. 44, only 2% of kids are going to go on and play or compete in sports in college. But 100% of the kids will go on to be adults. And so I think we should bear that in mind when we view the role of sport in the broader context of life. And so it's better, I think, to just assume my kid, your kid, our kid, just assume they're not getting a sports scholarship of any sort. In fact, if you really want to try and limit the financial impact of college, go after the financial aid, those scholarships. There's much more than in academic scholarships than there is in sports, and it's way more assured. So focus on school and make sure you realise the absolute power of sport comes in the teamwork, the camaraderie, the commitment, the pursuit of improvement, the fun and the joy. That's what you get out of it. And the talented kids will emerge. We can't drive that. 
Number 45. This is a fun one. Whatever kid is the standout superstar at 8, 9, 10, 11 years of age, it's unlikely that that kid will be the superstar in that same sport at 17 to 18 years of age. Stand and watch any team of 8 to 12 year olds in any sport and you can almost guarantee that you will not spot the one that makes it and goes on for great sporting success in college and beyond. Let me say that again. Stand and watch soccer team, basketball team, baseball. It doesn't matter what it is. Flag football. Baxter's really into flag football right now. I almost guarantee you, 8 to 12 years of age, that you won't be able to pick out the one that actually goes on in some sport, not necessarily in that sport, in some sport, to make it, whatever making it means. Yeah, that awkward, shy kid on the soccer field, he might be the next superstar rower. And so let's keep our perspective and focus on work ethic, commitment, camaraderie, teamwork, respect, sportsmanship, and all of that good stuff, because those are tools that every kid can utilize across life. And finally, well, let's just finish it up. Five more guys. 46, every person is an athlete. I've seen people from every starting line achieve amazing personal growth. Number 47, the next big thing is yesterday's big thing. Endurance sports, and every sport goes in circles. Zone two, blood lactate. We've seen it all before, folks. There's very little, very little of the next great thing. Focus on the fundamentals. Number 48, the journey of sport can have an outsized impact in anyone's broader life. In fact, I can't think of anything else in life that has such a huge positive impact on who people become in broader life than a journey on sport. And so I encourage you, lean in, take on a challenge, something a little scary. You won't regret it because you'll get pride and satisfaction from accomplishment, but also you'll get benefits well beyond that journey. Number 49, the journey to performance is not linear. Don't expect perfection. Understand that setbacks, obstacles, failures, they're going to happen along the way. They really are. Don't take it personally. Learn, adapt, keep going. You might not be able to see it, but success is always emerging just over the next crest of the hill. And so focus on the fundamentals. You won't regret it. And 50, oh, my final one. Guys, don't forget to have fun. We only have one life to live, so make the most of it. And folks, that's it. But me being me, I'm greedy. There is one more. And I think this one is the most important one. The other day, a good friend said to me, you must be so proud of what you've built at Purple Patch. You've got a super business, a great community, a great catalogue of results. And I quickly corrected him. It wasn't me. I could never have done that. Purple Patch emerges from the athletes that make up and do make up the fabric of the journey, all of the results. Purple Patch emerges from the team members that have played parts along the way, the countless advisors, volunteers, supporters that have steered the journey, the coaches and experts that have helped us and our athletes grow, my friends who offered encouragement and support, my brothers who not only trained and trained and trained my mind and competitiveness through absolutely relentless punishing failures in the back garden in cricket and in the living room with the sponge ball football when I was just a little puppy, but also never ending in their caring and support to give me the courage to even come to the US in the first place, to compete, to grow, to start a business and more. And perhaps most importantly, no, not perhaps, absolutely most importantly to Kelly. Because I would never have started Purple Patch if it wasn't for her. I wasn't confident enough. I didn't believe that I had the ability, the right. And she pushed me and she gave me confidence. And in the journey, Kelly quit her job in tech. And for the last 10 years, we have built Purple Patch together in partnership 
In fact, we are officially a female-owned business. Kelly owns 51% of Purple Patch. Yeah, I love the camera, but this ain't my journey. I'm just lucky to have worked with really exceptional people who've offered the opportunity to grow and improve over time. And my job is not done. I'm 50, but I'm hungry. And so, folks, thank you for the birthday wishes. And I know so many of you listeners are desperate to send me a big, glorious present. Please do so. I love presents. I'm joking. But I do want one thing from each of you. It would make me really happy. It would be the best present. And the good news is it's simple because it's the same for everyone. As I turn 50, if you want to get me a present, it's going to be this. Take on a challenge. Take on a challenge. Commit to Purple Patch and its methods and its habits. We help people become a better version of yourself across life. That would be the ultimate gift. See you next week, guys. Take care. Thanks for listening. Guys, thanks so much for joining and thank you for listening. I hope that you enjoyed the new format. You can never miss an episode by simply subscribing. Head to the Purple Patch channel of YouTube and you will find it there and you could subscribe. Of course, I'd like to ask you if you will subscribe. Also, share it with your friends. And it's really helpful if you leave a nice positive review in the comments. Now, any questions that you have, let me know. Feel free to add a comment and I will try my best to respond and support you on your performance journey. And in fact, as we commence this video podcast experience, if you have any feedback at all, as mentioned earlier in the show, we would love your help in helping us to improve. Simply email us at info at purplepatchfitness.com or leave it in the comments of the show at the Purple Patch page and we will get you dialed in. We'd love constructive feedback. We are in a growth mindset, as we like to call it. And so feel free to share with your friends. But as I said, let's build this together. Let's make it something special. It's really fun. We're really trying hard to make it a special experience. And we want to welcome you into the Purple Patch community. With that, I hope you have a great week. Stay healthy. Have fun. Keep smiling, doing whatever you do. Take care.